Hi, I'm Amara Kelly, and welcome to Learning About Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Today, I'm interviewing Patricia Wastepappy and Eric Sternrod. We'll be discussing information surrounding missing and murdered Indigenous women cases, such as one of the new acts signed into law, the Savannah's Act, and we'll also be talking about the impact the past has made on missing and murdered Indigenous women. Recently, missing and murdered Indigenous women cases have been getting a lot of attention, and more and more people are starting to stand up and make a difference. Especially in legislation, they're making new laws and changing old laws so that there's better communication between tribes and law enforcement. In a report by Urban Indian Health Institution, there were 5,712 missing and murdered Indigenous women cases, but only 116 were recorded. Native Americans also have one of the highest death rates in the country. I feel for this because I'm a Native American, and I wouldn't want to see my family or friends hurt. I understand why it's such a big problem and needs to be stopped. First, I'll be interviewing Patricia Wispappi. Today, I have with me... Patricia Wispappi. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women. My first question is, have you ever heard of missing and murdered Indigenous women? And what's your background on the subject? Yes, I have heard of that organization, and I've been a part of it and participated in different gatherings with other women mm-hmm. and family members of murdered, missing Indigenous women. Do you have a background story? Yes, I do. Uh, what's your story? My story is that my older sister was found west of Gary, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. many years ago. Uh, it was during the springtime when there's a lot of rainstorms in Oklahoma. And she had been with a friend and they got stuck in the mud. And he walked back into town and my sister would not walk. She stayed out there in the country. Mm-hmm. And when he got into town, he couldn't find anybody to take him back out there to get her till the next day because it was so muddy and raining. And the next day when they did go out there to find my sister, she was dead in the back seat of the car. Oh, God. That sounds horrible. Do you know how old she was at the time? I think she was 33 years old at the time. 33 or 34. Yeah. And she had been, she had, there were times when she would leave and be gone for extended periods of time. And. But she'd always come back. She'd always come back. She'd always come home. She was a real hard worker when she was at home and she helped my mom take care of of all of us, the brothers and sisters. And uh, so then they found her body the next day. So it sounds like, did the police ever investigate or find her killer? They took her body to the nearest hospital, which was in Watonga, Oklahoma. And when the doctor saw that my sister was Native American, he just wrote, on the death certificate that death was due to alcoholism. But the medical examiner had them draw some blood from my sister. So it was sent to the ME's office. In the meanwhile, my sister was buried. We had a funeral for her and everything. Two weeks later, the medical examiner's office sent someone to my mother and asked my mother to exhume my permission to exhume my sister's body to do an Mm -hmm. autopsy because there was not enough alcohol in her body to cause her death. And my mom would not agree to that. So 
There was never, never any follow-up, never any investigation, never because any. They automatically assumed it was alcoholism. Yeah, when they saw that she was, and there were no visible bruises that we could see. Mm -hmm. You know, at that time there was no visible bruises, but when they saw that she was a Native American, it was just, just assumed that death was due to alcoholism. That's horrible. The prejudice. Have so times have changed when do you know when that was? That was I have it in my phone. <laughs> I think I have it's it. okay if you don't know on the phone. Yeah. Um, that it would have it would have been let's see of uh, a long time ago. Many years ago. Yeah. So recently two acts have been signed into law. Have you heard about them? The what? The two the, the two new acts. Yes, I have. It's the Savannah's Act and the not invisible act mm -hmm. so in this case the savannah's law was created for a situation like this they're training law enforcement off of reservations to better handle and missing and murdered indigenous women cases and they also have to correct old statistics and report new statistics to congress yearly what do you think of that i think that is really a good plan it's a good idea that someone's finally recognized the problem mm -hmm. and then finally some people have taken action it's been they've been persistent and usually it's the indian women themselves yeah. there are other family members you know uh, brothers sisters cousins but it's been the majority have been women yeah women the children the mothers the grandmothers of these missing murdered indigenous women it's been their persistence mm -hmm. and their you know their fight Coming for this, together. you know, to have have this problem recognized and finally for someone to take action. Yes. I've seen a lot of victims come and make websites and start making corporations and start getting people together and going to legislation and making more laws and trying to fight for this. Mm -hmm. Is yes. there, do you have, what would you, what would step would you take to stop this problem more? To stop it more? Is there anything you'd do? If I would just tell women to be safer, mm -hmm. to be safer in who they get in a car with, yeah. to, to let people know where they are mm -hmm. and to let, you know, a lot of times uh, parents don't even know the names of their children's friends. You know, oh, I'm going to my friend's house. Mm -hmm. and, and you're like, who's the, you know, we don't know. So they need to be careful about where they go. Like, because sometimes people say, well, what's, we're going to a party. Whose party? Where? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be there? You know, so a lot of times I think we can be placed into situations that are maybe unsafe for us. Thank you, Patricia. I'll be interviewing Eric Stone Road next. For my <laughs> second interview, I have with me Eric Stone Road. Hi, Eric. How are you doing, Mark? I'm great. How are you? I am awesome. So today we're talking about missing and murdered indigenous women. And previously, I talked to Patricia, and she said she went to gatherings for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Have you done the same or even heard of missing and murdered Indigenous women? Yes, you've heard about that. I mean, being Native American myself, we've heard about, you know, this pretty much my whole life. I'm 51. I was born in 1969. And you hear the stories, you know, I don't personally have any relatives except maybe one grandma might have told you that story earlier yes but um 
you know, you hear stories about the small remote locations, reservations, uh, you know, the poverty-stricken areas, you know, where a lot of that occurs. A lot of it don't get reported, but there are new bills in place now, I think, where they are looking further into reporting and investigating those situations. And Yeah. Yes. And we talked previously, and you said you worked at a Native hospital? Yes, I work in Indian Health Service. Actually, in December, I'll have 23 years in Indian Health Service. And we have community outreach events where we not only go out and do like flu shots, home health care visits and whatnot, but we also have outreach events that include victims, survivors of missing, murdered indigenous women. <laughs> yeah. And so it's for the victims and their families and yes, the healing process. kind of. Yes, we actually have. Uh, psychologists, behavioral health specialists on, on site, and they actually do a really good job. That's good. Within so, our local communities. That's good. So is it for just on reservations or is it also off reservations? Well, it's the thing about Indian Health Service, it's throughout the nation in each area. I actually work in the Oklahoma City area, which includes clinics and hospitals throughout Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. But they also have, like, like I said, it's throughout the nation. They have an Albuquerque area. There's, they're all over the nation. I mean, so yes, how they do things, I would not know. I work in Oklahoma. Did you know that more than fifty percent of Native American women live off reservations in urban communities? Yes, I did. There's a variety of reasons. Do you know why? Well, there are a variety of reasons. Let me just give you. A slight history lesson. Um, I believe it was 1868, 1869, when African Americans could actually vote in this country. It wasn't until 1920 when women could vote in this country. And it wasn't until 1924, I think it was called the Citizens Act, when Native Americans could actually vote in this country. Even then, it was almost 40 years later before all 50 states allowed Native Americans to vote in this country. Native Americans, they've always been relocated by the government to rural urban areas, which spawn impoverished communities because they were areas that weren't idea to live in. That's the areas the government had taken they could not farm a lot of these areas. They could not hunt in a lot of these areas. So they relied on government assistance for everything. Mm -hmm. So these areas are still reliant on government assistance. And that's just spawned a lot of poverty, a lot of alcoholism, drug abuse. And that's one of the reasons why. <laughs> Native Americans were always forced out of their own lands and relocated into remote locations. With all the new Europeans and people coming into the country, they brought their diseases and wars. Finally, Native Americans are starting to get recognition and attention. In your 23 years of experience in Indian Health Service, what changes have you seen in response to the missing and murdered Indigenous women cases? Well, like we had spoken about the two, I'm not sure if they're acts for better awareness of those situations, but we actually have 
MOAs, which are memorandums of agreement with local law enforcement. A lot of these locations, BIA, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs, has jurisdictions. But with our MOAs in place, we can actually have city, county, and state police actually come to these to assist in the investigations and the follow-through of these cases. Um, and I think that is actually a good starting point right now because before, a lot of these cases were reported and they went no further than the local law enforcement level. Now, with this being coming, coming to light, actually, they're actually paying more attention and actually doing a little bit more follow-up. Follow yeah, so better communication between tribes exactly. and law enforcement. Exactly. It's actually the two new acts is about that. Exactly. Well, and that was the main, I think, the main breakdown in communications to begin with on why there are so many unsolved cases. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Patricia Voice Poppy is my grandma and Eric Stonard is my uncle. Thinking about how missing and murdered Indigenous women could affect my family because I'm Native American, especially the women in my family, is very sad to think that they could be harmed in any way. So how I'm going to continue supporting missing and murdered Indigenous women is posting through social media, hashtag MMIW, and attending tribal events and learning more about how to spread the word and talk to more people. I really enjoyed doing this and learning more about my family's point of view and how they view it in their stories. Thank you for listening. This is Learning About Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women with Amara Kelly.